Father, we know instinctively, we know by experience, and we certainly know by the Word of God that trials and problems and troubles in life are normal. And we're not uh, exempt from any of them. And when they come on our life, neither are we just being picked on. It's just the way things are as fallen creatures, as sinners in a fallen, cursed world. And uh, all of this makes us come to you to be reminded of your greatness, of your power. And we ask you, Father, as we think about uh, people like Hannah, that you would heal. And we pray you would do things like comfort people who are grieving. And we pray that you would provide for people who have needs in their life. And we pray all of that would always point us to you, that you are a kind and merciful wonderful God who has all power and uh, we are coming today to praise you for that and to claim you for it uh, claim that power from you for it and we're also saying Lord that uh, whatever path we have to walk we know that you will sustain us through it David said yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me and we thank you for that, Lord. You're always with us. And your power is always with us. And your sustaining grace is always there. That amazing grace that we sang about earlier. And Lord, we also want to thank you that our trials and our problems, they also can remind us that there's a better day coming. That glorious day that we sang about a little earlier when we're with you and there's no more sorrow, no more pain, that time when we rise, as we also sang, to be with the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we'll be free from all the troubles and the trials of this earth. And so whatever happens in there, let everything we go through remind us of you and remind us of our glorious future. But then another thing too, Lord, would you remind us of all of the people we know who don't have that hope. And we want to pray we'd be mindful of them. We pray for their salvation. We pray that we would live a life in front of them that would not uh, desecrate the testimony of our salvation. We pray, Father, also that our words would share the gospel with them. And we pray for them and ask for a harvest that they might be saved. And so, Lord, on this day, we rejoice in you and we thank you that you are with us. And we thank you for your wonderful plan. And we thank you for your goodness and kindness in every area of life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, ask you to take your Bibles. And let's pick up where we were last week in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to kind of go on with the story of David and uh, what he faced, we saw last week, his great temptation. And now, uh, well, I kind of uh, remember, as an old guy, the Nixon era. Any of you remember Richard Nixon? And you remember a scandal called Watergate? One of the things that I always heard after that was that um, he was not involved in the actual burglary or anything like that, but he got involved in the cover-up. And remember the big thing in the hearings was, when did the president know, what did the president know, and when did he know it? And it came out after that, and the, the uh, slogan has always been, the cover-up is worse than the crime. 
The cover-up is worse than the crime. I thought about that as I was getting ready for this part of David's story because David not only did the cover-up, but he did the crime. Guilty of both. And as he covers things up, as we're going to see today, what do you suppose his motive was? The glory of God? The well-being of other people? This was entirely and totally selfish on his part. He was being self-protective, which is, well, that's in our nature. We, we just do that. We don't fully disclose everything that's going on. And I'm thankful we don't always have to, of course. But uh, that's, that's human nature. And so we would look at David. This is a man who is not walking with God. This is a man who has sinned greatly. And then he finds out that the woman that he had an affair with. I mean, it was just going to be a one-night stand, a one-time fling. No big deal, you know, done and over with. And then she comes back with the words, I am pregnant. So what is he going to do in this situation? And so um, as we... Think about how he covered things up and how he, uh, well, let's put it this way. The cover-up made the crime worse, not better. It made it worse, not better. Hear me. It makes it worse, not better. So if you're living a double life, if you are covering things up, maybe you're here this morning and the only reason you're here is to cover up what you really are and what you really do. Maybe you take the Lord's Supper just so you won't look bad and it's a cover-up on things. Maybe you sing songs that you don't really believe because it's a cover-up. You don't want people to know who you really are. I'm going to tell you the cover-up <clears throat> makes the crime worse. Don't be a fake. Come clean before God. One man wrote, listen carefully to this, the temptation arose. A temptation sudden and great. He gives way, meaning David, to the seduction. He calmly descends from his palace with a determination to bring the evil of his heart into action and to perpetuate the crime which the tempter had suggested to him. This we may conceive to have been the turning point in David's career. Oh, had David paused but for one moment, had he retired a while to deliberate upon his conduct, had he put up just one prayer for divine help, had he passed on even to the duties of his kingly office so as to divert his thoughts into a different channel, the snare might have been broken and he might have escaped. But alas, David is left a melancholy monument of what the best man may become when he forsakes his God. Those are chilling words to me. Chilling words. And they're words that are so incredibly true. So incredibly true. For you, for me, for all of us, for lost people as well as for saved people. David was a man after God's own heart, but not here. Not here. And things actually get worse. One writer said, The tempest has not strength in it to snap such an oak if the heart of the tree is sound. The sacred narrative shows 
that weakness reveals the secret decay. So what was the problem? Was it Bathsheba and what she was doing? No, it wasn't. That didn't cause David. She's not to blame for anything like that. Was the problem, even if she had tried to publicly expose herself to try to seduce David, would that be any excuse? No. The problem is in David. And the problem is his heart. And just as the tree can stand against the blowing wind, if the inside of the tree is sound, when the inside of the tree is corrupt and rottening, then the tree will fall. And here we find David, the mighty oak, so to speak, fell into this temptation because something was wrong with his heart. That's why he didn't go to battle. That's why he wasn't where he was supposed to be. His heart was not right. And that's why we're told, guard the heart, for from it spring the issues of life. And I beg you today, don't just judge your actions. They're important, of course, but judge your heart and judge your motive. Well, I don't do that. Why don't you do that is the question. Does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel superior? Does it make you feel righteous? Does it make you feel better than other people? Guard your heart, in other words. Think about all of the things that you don't do, but oh, inside you wish you could. If only I could do that, but I'm just afraid not to. Well, I'm glad you're afraid not to, but that heart problem needs to be addressed for when the winds of temptation blow, you may well snap. You need to have a sound heart, a sound core. We find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, this is just the nature of humans. We hide. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. See the hiding? See the cover-up? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings, and it doesn't end. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The hiding, the cover-up, the insufficiency of all of that. Can you imagine trying to cover your sin with fig leaves? Well, that's what your actions and your good works do. They're exposed before God, and you and God and the enemy Know it for sure. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And that's exactly what David did not do. He did not for over a year confess his sin. He did not come clean with God about it. And he did not forsake it. He just simply covered it up. Oh, he still went to church, so to speak. He still sang the songs. He may have even tried writing some new songs during this time. He still knew how to pray. He knew the jargon. He knew the vernacular. He knew how to act to try to cover it up. But don't you know, every once in a while he would walk past his guards with their weapons. And can you imagine the look on their face 
as they were saying with their facial expression, we know, O king, we know. Can you imagine what it was like for those messengers who went and got Bathsheba? We know. Can you imagine what it was like for that person that David got and said, Who is that down there? And he said, Is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? He knew. And by this point, I'm wondering how many people knew, but there were enough of them, and it's going to spread. Can you imagine what the common people thought? Can you imagine what his family would think about all of this. And so inside of him is this desperate, desperate need to just cover it up. Now may I say to this, there is one way to cover it up, and that is to cover it with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in confession of your sin to the Lord. But not in your self-righteousness, not in acting like everything's okay, not in just carrying on life as usual and going through the motions of self-justification, which the Lord hates. So we read 2 Samuel 11 and verse 6. You ready? Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Well, what a hypocrite. He didn't care about those things, did he? That wasn't his purpose. Verse 8. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. In other words, clean up, relax. So Uriah departed from the king's house. And a gift of food from the king followed him. Let that sink in. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, imagine how this hit David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why, why, why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab, the general, and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Well, who's the more honorable person here? Verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. David kept pouring it on, didn't he? Had a purpose. Okay. I mean, this is as bad as what Bill Cosby did, right? And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. I mean, even now, he's more honorable than the king. Verse 14, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it <clears throat> by the hand of Uriah. 
Now let that sink in. Carrying his own death warrant. Verse 15. And he wrote in the letter saying, Let Uriah in the front of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men, meaning of the enemy. Verse 17, Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. That's a sad thing. Verse 18, Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath arises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city uh, when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Zerubbasheth? Uh, was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. That'll calm him down. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. And the archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now, How do you think David's going to react to that? Look at verse 25. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Wow. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, uh, Uriah, her husband, was dead. She mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And everyone assumed it was David's son, and so they all lived happy ever after. Right? Now, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I'm telling you, this is a sad and horrible story. Innocent people died to cover up David's sin. And more than Uriah the Hittite, you notice in there several were shot down. Several servants of the king are killed. And the reason they were killed is because 
David had to cover it up by using bad battle strategy that he and Joab knew were going to be deadly. Get up too close and then the archers from the wall will fire at you. Normally you would stay out of range of them and do something else. But no, they're right up there where they can be hit. All so that Uriah would die so that the king's sin would be covered up. And others died as well. Boy, this is something that just really does strike at your heart. How could he do this? What kind of a man was he? And then when he hears that Uriah is dead, he goes, Oh, well, it's the way it works in war. Sword devours one and it devours another. Don't worry about it. Don't you think somebody would have listened to that and said, What? What? That doesn't sound right. And David, trying to be glib and trying to be innocent and trying to pass it off, his guilt, of course, is compounded. So what do we learn from this? David's cover-up actually expanded his sin. You know, we think of a cover-up as, this, we're going to contain it, we're going to keep it in here. No, that doesn't happen very often. Most of the time it leaks. Most of the time it spreads. Most of the time it affects other people, especially sexual sin, doesn't it? And so you uh, think about all of this. David uh, brought Uriah home early, acting as if he cared about Uriah and the battle and all of that kind of stuff. So he's a liar. He's a fake. He's a fraud on all of this. He's whining and dining Uriah. And that's all just a setup to try to cover up his sin. He doesn't care about Uriah. He's not making friends with Uriah. He's not showing Uriah a valiant soldier a good time while he's on leave. He's got other motives. We find here that he's rewarding and honoring Uriah. That'd be our equivalent of bringing somebody up and giving them a, a medal, a bronze star or something like that. When all it is, it's... Uh, just a cover-up. It's a wag-the-dog situation. Uh, do something to cover up what you were doing and distract people from it. When he involved Joab in setting up Uriah to be murdered, now he's brought someone else into his sin, and Joab is also a part of this now. But let's not forget the other innocent men that were killed. David is guilty of more than just murdering Uriah the Hittite. He's murdered some of his most valiant and loyal soldiers that are defending the country, that are fighting for the country, that are defending him and his kingdom. And because of his sin, he has them murdered. Notice how this is just spreading how are you going to contain this? Let's even put it this way. Marrying Bathsheba to cover up the pregnancy was also involving her even greater in all of this kind of stuff. And David's uh, cover-up is uh, getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, sometimes we read this story and we talk about David. Well, he was a great man. He killed the giant. He killed Philistines. He became the king of Israel. He's a man after God's own heart. He wrote a bunch of psalms. What a great guy David was. Well, let's not leave out what the Bible tells us about what he did. Well, you know, he committed adultery, but don't we all kind of have problems like that? And Jesus said, if a man lusts in his heart after a woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. Ah, it's all, that's just what all of us do. Really? Really? 
Look at this carefully. And look at what David is actually guilty of. And ask yourself the question. Would David tolerate anyone else in the kingdom doing this and let them live? I mean, later on when Nathan uh, confronts him about a rich man stealing a sheep from a poor man, David's ready to execute the rich man. But in this situation, here he is far more guilty than anyone else. But he's got to cover it up. Secondly, notice that David's cover-up would cause him to deny his own family. You ever seen anybody do that? Somebody has an affair. Somebody gets involved in some other type of sin. Doesn't have to be sexual sin. Could be gambling or alcoholism or drug addiction or any number of things. But particularly seems to be true about sexual sin. Uh, a person that is having an affair is not thinking during that time, I've got a wonderful wife. I've got a wonderful husband. Oh, my kids, they would be so proud if they could see me now and if they could know about this. No, it's something to where you really don't think much about them. It's a completely, totally selfish activity, right? And so here David is. He's not thinking about anything. Hey, have you considered the fact that when Bathsheba goes, I am pregnant, it's not just this you know, uh, oh, it's a pregnancy like a cold or flu or something like that. This is the direct result of his adultery, of his lust. And that child is his son, his flesh and blood. I mean, I want you to think about what he was doing. He certainly was not thinking about his other wives. And we'll reserve our comment on uh, polygamy. He certainly was not thinking about his children, even though they were rotten as they could be. David wasn't thinking about anybody or anyone or anything but himself. He wasn't thinking about Bathsheba and the awkward spot this would put her in. He wasn't thinking about Uriah being out there valiantly fighting for his kingdom and how terrible this would be. All he thought about was himself. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. He made plans to do it. He did it. And now he finds out he's pregnant. And in this particular case, he doesn't care that it's his own child, a son, as it turns out. So where do you get that? Because he brings Uriah home and says, Hey, Uriah, it's good to see you. How's the battle going? Boy, you're a great guy. Man, I wish we had a million like you fighting for us. Now you go home and relax and spend time with your wife and everybody would think that it was Uriah's son. You see what he was doing? He was denying his own flesh and blood, his own child. I have no doubt that had it been available to him, he would have said, uh, Bathsheba, you need to terminate this pregnancy. You need to get rid of this baby because David is going to literally turn over his own flesh and blood to Uriah. Uriah is going to be his daddy. He's going to live in Uriah's house. He's going to live off of Uriah's income. And David can have nothing to do with him. Neither does he want to have anything to do with him. Because if he supports the child in any way or shows interest, then the truth comes out. Because there were people who knew. So David doesn't think anything about his family. 
David doesn't think anything about what his kids are going to think because they are going to think something and this is going to neutralize David, his own sin, in dealing with his children's immorality later on and there's going to be death and destruction, bloodshed, disrespect and dishonor. All of that kind of stuff is going to come into the family. And those kind of things happen today. It's amazing how many times you find that there's been a domestic problem and there's been a, a abuse or murder or something like that and then you find there's been infidelity going on behind the scenes. It's amazing how many times you hear somebody share their testimony or in a counseling situation and you ask them, what about your family? Well, my dad was a skunk and he cheated on my mom and those kind of things. They don't have much honor for you. You give your honor away to another when this stuff happened. And that's exactly what David did, just as it says in the book of Proverbs. And so... Uh, there is family. He just kind of throws them to the wind because this is what he wants to do. And uh, he's going to cover it up any way that he can. What kind of a father does that? And let's just be honest. When we read about David's life, he wasn't much of a father. He had some problems. And he had a lot of family problems in this. And this didn't help anything at all. We find thirdly, that his cover-up devalued and betrayed his loyal soldiers in this whole thing too. He didn't value anybody, anything, anyone, anywhere at this point. It was all about him. And can I say this to you? If you're involved in sexual sin, if you're involved in lust and greed and covetousness, if you're involved in an affair, if you're involved in pornography and all of that, you are one selfish person. You're only thinking about yourself and your family is in peril. I beg you to repent of that and put it away. God will forgive and God is able to deliver you. But sometimes the consequences, if they go on and on and on and on and on, the consequences are too difficult to bear. And sin, remember, will take you further than you wanted to go. And it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. And it'll uh, keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. David is going to go through a year of hell because of all of this. And you can read about it in Psalm 32. And it affected him mentally, it affected him emotionally, it affected him spiritually, of course, and even physically while he kept silent, going through the motions of being a godly king and all of those things like to have killed him before he finally confessed his sin. It has an effect on all of you. Solomon said, he who commits adultery loses his own soul. David could say, boy, that's true. It was eating at me like a cancer and so painful, so painful. Number three, David's cover-up betrays the innocent here. And uh, when you think about it, those innocent soldiers that died, when you think about the innocent people that were involved in this, like Joab, even though he didn't die, he has to bear this. He has to keep his mouth shut. He has to make sure nothing slips out because he could be executed for telling this. That's the kind of government they had. And uh, he, he can't do anything. What about the messengers that went and got Bathsheba? What about all of those people? I mean, this is a horrible thing. Well, what about Uriah's mom? What about his dad? 
What about his brothers and sisters and his cousins? I mean, they're all uh, uh, there. And uh, think about all of the people that are affected by this. You see, people don't think whenever they get involved in sin that it is not usually just between me and this other person. It spreads and it affects and it hurts and it betrays and it bothers. And, to use a New Testament word, it stumbles other people. And you know what the Lord said about that. And so... uh, We think about his cover-up here. Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Well, that inspires a lot of confidence in in your king, doesn't it? That makes you want to fight for him. David says that to try to cover up for this situation, but he's basically saying, Hey, Joab, you don't really matter all that much either. I mean, you know, Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. You know, swords do that. They kill people. Arrows do that. They kill people. It's just one of those things that kind of happens. And now all of a sudden, David, this man that was a valiant leader of other men, his men are called mighty men, in fact. And now he's just like, oh, well, we can get more where that one came from. That's just what happens. Don't you know that would have been shocking for everyone and not very inspiring to all of his troops and his officials as they wonder, what in the world is happening to David? Can you imagine his demeanor is changed? His outlook is changed? His happiness and joy is gone? What happened to our king if they didn't know? And someone else is probably more than willing to say, well, you can't tell anybody But you know that happened. You know that happened. David's living in all of this, but so is everyone else. Number four, David's cover-up, the worst thing is, it displeased God. And the sweet singer and psalmist of Israel now no longer has the blessing of God. So that in Psalm 51, he desperately cries out, Do not cast me away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Terrified. He didn't want to lose his anointing as king that Samuel had given him so many years before. He didn't want to be cast aside like Saul was when the kingdom was ripped away from him. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to be separated from God. But that's exactly what he did when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. God, I don't need you anymore. God, I don't really care what you think. God, I'll do what I want to do. And so he selfishly did it. That's going to change in about a year as he desperately cries out to God. But not now. His heart is hardened. He thinks he can handle this. He thinks it's going to be okay. He doesn't really care that much about the consequences. And worst of all, worst of all, the plan seems to be working. You know, sometimes when your plan seems to work the best is when you're in the most danger spiritually. Those times when you've handled something and you held your breath and nothing happened, maybe, maybe I got away with that this time. Because you'll probably do it again. And it'll probably be worse. So we look at this and we realize it displeased God. 
Thomas Manton, a Puritan, wrote, Sin is an ill guest. Why? For it always sets its lodgings on fire. How would you like to have somebody that needed a place to stay and you said, Oh, hey, come stay at my place. And they came and they said, oh, this is wonderful. And you fed them. They go, oh, the food is just great. And you sat and watched a ball game with them. And they said, oh, I haven't watched a ball game in so long. Would you like a snack? Would you like a Coke? Would you, uh, oh, that would be wonderful. What do, you, what, what do you have to sleep in? Well, I don't have anything but the clothes on my back. Hey, why don't you wear a pair of these pajamas over here and then let us wash your clothes. They'll be ready for you in the morning. Take a hot shower back there and then go... Uh, Go to sleep and sleep in a nice warm room on a nice soft bed. Oh, you are so kind to me. Only to find out that that person, before they left, they set your house on fire and you're scrambling for your life wondering what happened and you find out that the guest that you treated so well has set your house on fire. How would you like that? And that's what the Puritan was saying. You bring sin into your life as a guest. And you treat it right. You indulge it. You do what it wants to do. And what's the result of it? Not peace. Not happiness. Not joy. Not togetherness. Not unity. Not good fellowship. It burns the lodging down. It sets you on fire. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you ever intended to pay. And it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. So you look at David's life and you look at this and you realize as bad as the sin was with Bathsheba, far better would it have been for David to have run to the tabernacle fell before the altar and said, Oh God, I have sinned. Far better for him to admit his sin publicly and deal with the consequences than to do all of this and compound the sin because the cover-up helped nothing. The cover-up did not protect his reputation. The cover-up did not make him feel better. The cover-up did not preserve his family relationships. The cover-up did absolutely nothing all all of that except to further disgrace him and cause him to sin in greater ways so that in Psalm 51 he cries out, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. What in the world does that mean? It means David was begging not to die because he knew he was worthy of capital punishment. He never intended for that to happen. That night when he went up on the roof, he wasn't planning on that. And when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he wasn't thinking about the consequences of any of that. And so this is recorded in Holy Scripture to remind us of even what a man of God can do, what you can do, what could happen in your life, what could happen in your family if you're not careful. We used to sing when I was a little kid, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, that David would have thought of even just that little song. Oh, that you would 
Oh, that you would. Because sin, the book of Hebrews says, it refers to Moses, and it talks about the passing pleasures of sin. Very, very temporary. But oh, where it ends up is so incredibly bad, long, and scarring. Now, I'm tempted to say, don't go there. But it's much more than that. It's this, honor your king. Honor your Lord. Serve him. And if you're in it, get out. And get somebody to help you. I would be happy to help you if you need some help. You may have a trusted friend who walks with God. Just get some help. Confess it before God. Forsake it. And get some help so that you can eventually live in freedom. And if you are in this sin and you've never been saved, I'm going to tell you, nothing but Jesus can set you free from this. Nothing and no one. Will you repent of your sin today? Not just this sin, but your sin of unbelief as well. Your sin of breaking God's law. And will you trust Him as the full payment for your sin? Will you surrender to Him as the Lord and the Master of your life? And he's promised, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how many of you can say that Romans 10, 13 is true because you called upon him and he saved you and he set you free? Will you say amen? amen. Ask one of those people how that happened and they'll tell you how to be born again. Talk to me. Talk to Brother Chad Trench. Talk to somebody that you trust and know about how to be born again. Read the book of Romans, particularly in Romans chapter 10. And find out how to be saved and so your chains can be gone. And may the Lord God protect us all and protect our families from such a horrible thing as David experienced. And all God's people said, Amen. Heavenly Father, protect us. We are so frail. We're so vulnerable. And I think about the opening thing that I read. Had David just stopped? Had he even given a smallest thought to all of this, he would have quit. Had he even offered up a prayer, he probably would have quit. And help us not to make the same mistake that David does. Let us flee from the very appearance of evil. Let us be to where we are pursuing God, holiness, purity, your glory for our lives. And Lord, we pray you would be glorified in our lives by forgiving us, by cleansing us, by preventing some of these things, by delivering us out of these things. As Jesus taught us to pray, please don't lead us any way where we would be tempted, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so it's in your name that we end this prayer and this service. In Jesus' name, amen.